Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nicole. Hello, Shelly. How are you? I have to tell you, actually, I meant to tell you before, um, but I have to tell you something that I did right before we jumped on the call. Okay. Because I was rushing because I had texted you that I was going to be on time and then I was behind. Yeah. And I put my, my computer on my desk and I had a can of soda in my hand <laughs> and I went to go look at my watch to see oh, no. what time. Oh no. And I spilled it everywhere. Oh no, but not on your computer. No, I'd be crying. <laughs> goodness. Oh no. Yeah. So oh, don't you love it when like you're rushing and you have somewhere to be or something to do and then a disaster happens mm-hmm. and the kind of thing you can't necessarily leave, like the dog pooped on the rug. Well, you can't just go to work and leave it for the day. Right. Or things you know that I mean? go seamlessly. Like if you have slip on shoes and every day for your five years, you've just been slipping it on. But the one day that you're late, you go to slip them on and they like wiggle around and it takes you like three attempts. Right. And you're like, why am I having trouble with this now? When I- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, my life. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think everyone's life. <laughs> At least the mom life. Yes. Our guest this week is Miranda Bennett, and she is a regular mom like us, and who's going to show she's going to share her personal experience with postpartum depression. Ah, very good. Because it's it's good to get information from experts and mental health professionals, but sometimes it can be encouraging to hear a personal story. Yep. Agreed. Absolutely. But first, let's do our favorite of the week. Okay. Good. Do you want me to go first? Sure. Okay. I uh, I am now obsessed with bullet journaling. Ah. You know what that is? No. It's usually done. It can be, it's kind of like one of those creative things that you can make it look like however you want to. Um, but most people will do it on, in a journal with the, um, the dotted pages. Yeah. Those good dots. And you can do agendas. Like I have a food tracker and I have a water tracker, um, a sleep tracker and energy tracker, but you make oh. it look super cute and fun to keep track of. Huh. And once you start, it can be so addicting. So cool. Yeah. You know like, all those kinds your, of things I know nothing about. <laughs> well, I, I feel like bullet journaling is like a younger version of scrapbooking. Ah, very cool. Yeah. I'll check it out. What's your favorite of the week? Um, well, I was just online checking out um, some pottery. And one of my favorite potters is someone I know who's a friend of mine and her um, pottery shop is called pug pup dog pottery pup dog 
P-U-P-D-O-G, Pottery. She's on Etsy and Instagram, and she has got some beautiful pottery. I love what she does. I love her colors. She's super creative. She's an absolute artist, and um, she makes it and ships right here from the United States. So check her out. So I have a confession to make. Mm -hmm. I bought like half of her store. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite boob mug, she custom made that for me. That's so cool. I have so many of her pieces and they're all awesome. Yep. And she is a wise birth breastfeeding mama advocate, Mm -hmm. educator. Yep, exactly. Yep. So I will put the links to Pup Dog Pottery in the show notes. Yes. Let's do our question of the week. Great. So this week's question was submitted through Instagram. And this parent is saying that her baby is starting to reject the breast, arching her back and crying whenever they try to breastfeed. Sometimes it's impossible to get her latched on and we have to give a bottle. Is this normal and what can we do? Any ideas, Nicole? What was that? Any ideas? The baby is arching her back. Is that what she was saying? I was yeah, and rejecting the breast. How old is the baby? She didn't say. And yeah. that would be, it would be helpful to have that information. Yeah. Yeah. That would be helpful. I guess I'd want to know age. Um, and what did she say? What was she doing? Was she resorting to the bottle? Well, the baby wouldn't latch on and would arch and cry. So they would end up giving the baby a bottle. Yeah. I don't know the initial issue. Part of that would need to be answered by finding out more information. How old is the baby? Um, how often is this happening? Has it been happening right from birth? You know, yada, yada, yada. Is the baby mm-hmm. having some reflux where some, because sometimes that's a problem. The baby will get on the breast. Once it starts getting anything, will um, have a hard time and, and um, arch its back and refuse the breast because they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, if I don't know the baby's age, if they're resorting to the bottle each time, the baby is getting more bottle than breast, um, which is obviously easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, some babies would prefer that. Um, what would you have to say? What would you add? Yeah, I completely agree. And I would say, you know, if it is, you know, babies, don't just start rejecting the breast for no reason or because of personality. Usually there is a reasoning behind, like an underlying reason behind the breast rejection. So like Nicole said, could be reflux where they start to associate feeding with being in pain. So they'll come off and arch their back. Sometimes it's oversupply or overactive letdown. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the baby has like structural issues that make it uncomfortable to lay and latch onto the breast. Um, there's a number of different reasons. So your best bet would be to see an IBCLC to help you assess the feeding and kind of find out why your baby is acting that way. And then in the meantime, I would try to make the breast as happy of a place as you can. So if you give the baby a bottle when they're done and they're full and they're content, try latching them again or just doing some skin to skin with them, things like that. Try taking a warm bath with your baby too. That can sometimes work. And those are the suggestions I would make. Agreed. hundred percent. That was a great question. Okay. Next up, we will be speaking with Miranda. Great. 
everyone. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting and new families facing when they're having a baby, and that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information, and also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solids webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage, and pelvic floor health. Um, This week, I'm excited to announce our guest, Miranda Bennett from Mrs. Mediocre Mom, and she's here to share her personal experience with postpartum depression. Welcome, Miranda. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. This is such an important topic to talk about, and I am really excited that you're willing to come on and share such a personal story. Well, I was really excited because I listened to your other episode where you touched on postpartum depression, anxiety, et cetera. And it was like, I was having the conversation with you guys. I was like talking to my headphones, (laughs) answering questions like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And also this. (laughs) So I'm really glad that you guys are having this conversation because Mm -hmm. it's, it's really important. And I didn't realize how important it was when I first started talking about it because I had experience with blogging. So I just figured I would blog about it and get it out. And then it was the response that I got that made me realize, wow, this is quite a large issue when people I know, because you know, when you're first starting, the only people reading your stuff are people, you know. Mm -hmm. So when those people are coming to you saying that they had the exact same issues, it's like, wow, how do we all know each other? And yet none of us knew this about each other. That's a problem. Right. And I think people don't like to talk about it. Although I do think that that's changing. I think people are becoming more open to talking about it, but still not quite where I think we need to be, where it's still for some families and it's still like the shameful secret that they don't want to talk about. Yes. And the thing that I'm trying to stress in some of these interviews and um, on my own platforms is that. It's clear that we've found the community to discuss it amongst ourselves. So now the community that we have to find are the people that don't suffer from any of it, because it's those people who end up being the heroes if they notice and take care of certain things. Because as the person who's suffering, you're able to hit these lows or these highs of these anxieties that you are no longer in control and you can't help yourself. And we need to teach the people around us what to look for. Um, I know in that episode that I listened to of you guys um, a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that you guys were discussing was that these medical professionals don't do anything or say anything or prepare you. But, you know, on top of that, they're not preparing your spouse either. They're not, you know, nobody's telling the husband or the spouse, hey, make sure you know, during the first year, at the very least, you're looking for these things. Um, Because if it wasn't for my mom and my sister, um, because my husband was traveling a lot at the time, 
if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have gotten the help that I needed. So um, I'm glad that the discussion is happening, but my point is I would love it to spread beyond just us who have been through it, mm-hmm. but the people who have been through it beside the people who are going through it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely does. And I love that point. I know when I'm teaching like prenatal classes and we touch on postpartum mood disorders and depression, I always say like, you know, when sometimes when you're in it, you don't realize that you're in it. And sometimes it takes like your partner or your family member or friend to say, Hey, I think we should talk about how you're feeling and see if there's something that you need help with. Because you can be having these extreme thoughts, but because you're not saying them out loud, because you're saying them inside your head, there's nobody in that, there's nothing to um, come back at them. So there's no reason for you to realize that what you're thinking is wrong because there's no one arguing with that point of view because it's inside your head. Mm-hmm. So it's so important for someone else to notice so you can get these things out. And so you can realize, oh, wait, that's ridiculous. You know, I, um, and you can, um, link to some of my past episodes or um, interviews too, where I go into a lot of detail, but there was a point in time where I was just ready to leave. I didn't want any part of it. I was done being a mom. I was done being a wife. I was done taking care of everyone. I didn't care. I was ready to leave. I wasn't <clears throat> suicidal. Um, and I think not to branch off too much, but I, I wanted to say too, with the suicidal thing, people who are suffering from postpartum depression might think, oh, I must not be suffering because I don't want to kill myself. So, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to hurt my kids and I don't want to hurt myself. So it must not be that bad, you know, but I didn't want to hurt my kids and I didn't want to hurt myself. I just wanted to leave and be done mm-hmm. and figured that they would be fine without me. And you know, they got a great dad, they'll be taken care of. I'm just, I want to wash my hands of it. And had I said that out loud, I would have heard how ridiculous that is. I don't want to leave my family at four o'clock in the morning and leave the car seats on the driveway. That's absurd. But I wasn't saying it out loud. So there was no one to tell me that that was absurd. And so when I finally broke down and called my sister and said, these are all the things I'm feeling. These are all the things I'm thinking. She was like, that's all normal. All of that is normal, but you just need to get some help. You're, you have postpartum depression. That's clear. So, you know, don't worry, but let's make sure you do what you need to do. And then she called my mom right away and my mom came over and, you know, got the ball rolling on everything, but it really um, takes the, the support of people around you to make sure that you can get out of it. I don't know if you saw the show made, um, I haven't. It's definitely on my playlist, but I haven't okay, seen it yet. Wa- watch it tonight. Like okay. your schedule. It's so good. But there are these scenes um, that show her like melting into the couch and then falling into this hole. Mm-hmm. And around her is her family doing their stuff. And she's just in this hole. And it's like the perfect visual of what it feels like to be just so low and if the person next to you is not noticing that you are, are feeling that way, I don't know. I feel like I'm harping here, but it's just so important to me to make sure that the spouses and the mothers and the sisters and the brothers and the uncles that they're just paying attention because it can be so bad. When, when I first, I got to collect my thoughts because I feel like I'm getting 
I'm a little excited here about this because I get very passionate about getting this out, even though it's a sad story. Um, you know, I, I'm not in that place anymore, thank God. So it, I can talk about it and try to help other people. But when I first started blogging about it, that was when I was first coming out of the fog. And I read a story about a mom who had a three-month-old baby and her friends didn't know and her husband didn't know that anything was going on and she killed herself. And it was so devastating to me because I was just coming out of this, this terrible place that it just became such an important subject to me. Like that didn't have to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just, I'm very glad that you're offering a platform to continue the conversation because there's no reason for moms to not have the support that we deserve after going through such a, a, a traumatic thing. And the thing is too, is I didn't have postpartum with my first baby. So it was like a shock that I had it the second time mm-hmm. because the first time um, my husband and I were very open and honest with our doctor that I had a long history of depression. So we were very afraid of postpartum. So they were well aware of my situation. It didn't change much. They didn't give me any more information than from what I've heard others have gotten. Um, But it just didn't occur to me that it would happen the second time. And I think that's also why it was so severe Mm -hmm. because he was six months old before I got any help because I just was so blindsided by all of it, but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I completely agree. And I always think, um, I had postpartum depression with my first and I always think, and this is such a stupid quote, but it resonated with me. And it's from Titanic when Rose <laughs> is telling Jack, like she's, she feels like she's standing in the middle of the room screaming and nobody notices. I've and thought I, that a lot. Nobody looks yes, at us. Nobody notices. And for me, I felt like I was struggling so much, but because no one noticed, which was not their fault, but because no one noticed, I felt it must just be me. It must be something that I'm doing wrong or I'm not good enough or, or whatnot. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm struggling and people are, are reacting to that. So I know that it's unusual. Yeah. Oh, here I am struggling and everybody's acting like everything's fine. So it must be fine. It just must be me. Right. That is like not good enough. Or I kept waiting for my daughter's real mom, quote unquote, to show up. Right, right, right. (laughs) She'll know what to do. That, and that's a brilliant point too, because you know, these times when I was thinking about leaving, these were after the four o'clock in the morning feeding. So I was alone, you know, everyone was asleep while I was feeling this way. And during the day, I guess it seemed like I was just normal and just tired. Um, So nobody knew I was wanting to leave. And yeah, I don't, you know, it's nobody's fault that they didn't notice, but I, I have noticed one thing um, that I think would help with some of this, but I've noticed a lot of, you know, newly pregnant women are so caught up in the magic of all of it. And they want, you know, they want to have all the, the right things and, and they want to think about the beautiful moments and what's to come. And, you know, I I've brought up some of the more serious things just to say, Hey, you know, make sure you're aware of this and this, and you're looking for this and this. And there's are times when they don't really want to hear about it because they just want to stay in the magic of all of it. And so when then you have a baby and something bad does happen, it's almost like it hurts worse 
because you wanted to push away the negative and, and just think about the, the beauty of it all. And so I think it has to be really a, a bigger conversation, you know, not only making the registry, but who do we need to talk to to make sure we know what we're looking for and um, because it can be devastating. And I can't believe I ever thought I didn't want to be, you know, with my kids. These kids are awful, but they're perfect. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. I want to be with them all the time. They drive me absolutely insane, but you know, I absolutely love them so much, but I just wish we had more support from, you know, you, you go in at six weeks then you fill out a questionnaire. And as long as it adds up to the right number, they don't say anything else. And right you're too tired to want to talk about anything at that appointment anyway. Right. And you right. chalk up everything to being tired anyway. Right. Like all the symptoms you're having can somehow be tied to just having a baby too. Right. So yeah, yeah. I just had a baby. Of course I feel this way. Yeah. I'm tired. Of course. I just had a baby. I'm irritable. Of course. I just had a baby. So you just keep mm -hmm. saying that and keep saying that um, until, you know, I just remember he was, yeah, I didn't get help till he was six months old. So he was this little baby infant. And I was the only one it felt like that couldn't get him to go to sleep. It was like everybody else could get him to go to sleep. But, you know, I was told I was so stressed out that it was that he could feel that. And that's why he wasn't falling asleep. And I'm like, great. So that's my fault, too. Like, oh. <laughs> So just like, don't be stressed. Just don't, just be, stressed. don't be stressed. Okay, thank you. Everything's better. Oh, calm down. Why didn't I just calm down? Um, Have a glass of wine. Meditate. You'll be fine. It's fine. Um, so I just, I just remember like rocking, 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 rocking. And my older one was three when we had him. So again, my husband's on these business trips. I'm expecting a three-year-old to sit out in the living room by herself to, and entertain herself for however long it's going to take me to get this kid to go to sleep. It's like the next nap by the time he does fall asleep. So the poor girl's been alone for an hour mm -hmm. and, you know, I finally get him to sleep and she comes in so excited to show me something and I just blew up and I will never forget the look on her sweet little three-year-old face. And, you know, I was just screaming and then she was crying and then he was crying and then I was crying. And it was like, that was another time where I just had to call my mom. I was like, you need to get here now. Like mm -hmm. you need to get here now. I can't do this. And she was going to just pick up the kids and said, you just need to sleep. And I was like, I agree. Everyone out. I need yeah. to sleep. Um, but then she wouldn't put her shoes on. And again, over just shoes, a, oh, a three-year-old doesn't want to put on her shoes. Like, this is so insane. No, but I, again, broke down. Like, instead of screaming this time, I just broke down to my mom. and was like, I don't want to do this anymore. She's like, do what? I said, any of this. I don't want any part of this. This is, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Please take them. And so... I mean, I guess thankfully it got bad enough for me to say that out loud, to be so fed up that I said no more, because like you said, the rest of it is just chalked up to you just had a baby. So no one's really, and everyone's so infatuated with the baby. They barely see right. you anyway. Right. You know, the little tiny thing's so cute. Right. And I think for me, a lot of it too was like, this was supposed to be one of the happiest times of my life. And 
I can't let people know that I'm not happy because then they will think I'm a bad mom or that I don't care or don't don't love my baby. And I did, I did love my baby, but I was very unhappy. And basically for me, it took the form of, I did, I took care of her. I did like the minimum to take, like I'd feed her, I'd change her, but I didn't hold her and cuddle her. And it's exact same. yeah. Yeah. And when she, when I was pregnant for the third time I had depression during pregnancy. And I remember the same thing in your experience. Like she was acting like a normal six-year-old and I just blew up. I don't even remember what I got mad at, but I remember it was like the dumbest thing. Yeah. And the look on her face is like seared into my brain Yeah, um, yeah. because it was a look of fear because I was like screaming. Yeah. Because we became like this person they'd never seen before. Right. And I still give myself a lot of like Every time she struggles with anything, I'm like, oh, this is my fault because I screamed at her when she was six. Like, you know what I mean? Like- right. I, 100%. I still, I, my friends and family still have to talk me down when I'm like, this is because when he was a baby, I didn't give him enough attention. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, everything. Well, if I would have held him more or, um, yeah. and a, another thing too, that's really hard, um, uh, you know, post all of this is that I don't remember a lot of his first year. I, there are huge gaps that are missing because I was, I guess, just so angry and depressed. I don't know, but it was, it's like, I can't remember a whole lot. And there are times when um, I'll see memories pop up on Facebook and it's like, I'm seeing it for the first time. It's mm-hmm. crazy. So it took me a really long time to get over the guilt of that. Like, as if I just didn't, I just wasn't even there for his first year. But I mean, like you said, basic needs were met. He was never hungry. He was never dirty. He like, he was fine, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but he didn't get what he deserved. He didn't get what Violet got when she was a baby. Um, And maybe I held him more than I, than I think. I don't know. Cause I don't remember. And it's really hard to, to deal with, with that sometimes. Right. Right. Cause my first baby was super quote unquote easy. So in a way that didn't help me because right. I could just put her down in her bassinet yeah. and she would just lay there. It like gave okay. you no motivation. Yes. She was chill. Yeah. Right. She was just like, okay, you're going to lay me down here and watch, you know, stare at the TV mindlessly instead of holding yeah. me or cuddling me. Okay. I guess that's fine with me. And she was just so laid back and chill about it. Whereas I, if my, if it had been my son, who was definitely a higher needs baby, I think it would have like been a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, she, my first was, man, my first was the trick baby. She slept all night. She had perfect schedule, same naps every day, Mm. slept 13 hours a night, ate food with no, she didn't bother to argue. She was reasonable. Even when she was two, the terrible twos, she was wonderful. I could tell her something she did not like, and she would just be like, okay. And just, She was so easy. Um, and I didn't want to have another baby because like it's, re- I apparently get pregnant very easily, but then they don't like to be born. So I, they have to be surgically removed in an emergent situation. Mm-hmm. And both of them were emergency c- uh, C-sections. And so after my first emergency C-section, I was like, I don't want to do this again. So she wasn't, um, so it took my husband a long time to convince me. He said, if we just have one more, no more don't worry. Um, one more, one more. And so, you know, now I think a boy and a girl, that's perfect. I have the perfect little foursome family with my boy and my girl, but 
I think that was part of it too, is that I was so afraid to have another pregnancy. I, I'm not one of those girls that loved being pregnant. I know so many people love it and that's wonderful for all of you, but it both times I hated it mm-hmm. and labor I hated and the emergency C-sections were awful and recovery was awful. And I think maybe that was part of it too. It's the second time around. I was resentful that it was like, I already knew how it was going to go. Mm-hmm. I let it happen anyway. And so I was angry that I would put myself in the position to do it again. Right. <laughs> but, but yeah, now, I mean, I'll have to send you um, some pictures of them so you can post because it might've been rough, but I made some cute, <laughs> like they put me through the ringer these children but they are mm. adorable so mm. that, yeah, is that helps too it helps <laughs> so much I'm like man if you weren't cute I would sell you <laughs> on Craigslist <laughs> yeah <laughs> like yeah. if you don't stop screaming mm-hmm. I'll give you away and then offer them a 20. <laughs> We're very similar I hated being pregnant as well I loved birth, but I loved it because it meant that pregnancy was over. I get that. Yes. I get that. I'd be like, yes, I'm in labor. Let's do this. Let's get this, this child out. I'm done. Yes. yes. I was not the cute, like, I mean, other people said I was a cute pregnant person, I suppose, but I didn't feel, you know, I was like, ugh, I'm sweaty. Get away from me. Right. <laughs> do you think that part of your depression might've been due to a little bit of birth trauma? I think maybe the second time around having that happen again, and it was worse the second time. So absolutely, I think that played a really big role because when is there time to get over a surgery like that? I mean, you go home with a baby. So nobody's, you know, once it's over, other than birth stories with other moms, nobody brings up your C-section. They ask how long you were in labor, you know, how did it go? And then it moves on to the to the baby, but no one's like, it, it just doesn't come up. Am I like, I don't know. Did you have a C-section or were you natural? I had all vaginal. Oh, awesome. I know what you're talking about. Thanks. But you know, nobody's like coming. I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong, but if did, was anyone coming up to you, like talking about the actual recovery of it all, or were they just yeah. mostly talking about the baby and yeah, you know, I mean, occasionally no time I- to get over it. Yeah. Like some, some, people would be like, how are you feeling? Right, right. And I would just be like, really tired. And they'd be like, yeah, welcome to be married or whatever. Right, right, but right. Like, like you said, the whole pregnancy, the attention is kind of like on you. People are checking in on you. People are asking how you're feeling, how you're doing. And then as soon as the baby's there, that just kind of falls away. And I yeah. think that's a shame because that's, that's the time that you need to be asked. Yeah. How are you? How are you feeling? How are you yeah. doing? But instead it's like, oh, you know, congratulations. Can I hold the baby? And yes, they just want to relish in that positive moment for you, even if it's not positive for you. Yeah. And while you're, you know, in bed healing from whatever, honestly, like the help you want has nothing to do with them holding your brand new baby. Like Mm -hmm. I wish more people would understand if you are coming over to a house of somebody with a newborn. We understand that you do, you want to hold this baby, so we will give you a minute with this baby. But the help that we want is not a break from said baby, especially if they're brand new. 
we just want you to like cook and clean. Right. <laughs> Don't, um, like they're, they become, there, there is a time when they get a little bit older where, yeah, you can take them off my hands and that would be really helpful. But I think that's a mistake too, that family and friends make is they think they're going to hold the baby while you nap or shower. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just had this thing inside my body for nine months. Like it's staying where, like here. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so come and make me a lasagna mm-hmm. and I will let you touch the baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was really terrified when I had my second that I was going to have postpartum depression again. And I did everything I could to try to prevent it. I even did like placenta encapsulation. Really? Yes, I did. Which I would say I probably wouldn't do now. Um, Yeah, I was going to say, what 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 was it supposed to do? So proponents of placenta encapsulation kind of, there's actually no research that proves this, but they say the idea is that if you're eating your placenta, that you get nutrients back to help you with milk supply and postpartum depression. Um, and I was like, what helps? I didn't even research it. I was like, that's fine. Cook my placenta. I will take it in capsules. Like, yeah, it can't be bad. Right. I right. Mean- and, and I can't say that I regret it, but I probably wouldn't do it again, but I did everything. And I remember that alone gave me a lot of stress too, because every time I had a sad moment, I was like, is this it? Am I depressed? Right. Again? Am I depressed again? Or every time I would get like angry, I was like, is this it? Is it coming back again? You were like anxious about it. Yes. I was anxious about it. And I remember the best help that someone gave me is they, I was, it was kind of like a bad week and I was struggling and I was driving myself crazy. Cause I was like, Oh, am I, is this depression? Do I have it again? Do I have to go call the doctor? And they just dropped off these little brown paper bags. They didn't even come in the house. They dropped it off for my first daughter. And in it was a craft and it had every single thing that she needed to, it was a very simple craft, something that I didn't really even have to help her with, with picture directions that she could just lay it out and follow the picture. And I still remember that to this day, how easy that was, that made my life, that I would just hand her this brown paper bag, sit her at the table, and she would just sit there and like do her craft. That's awesome. This was so much better than being like, why don't I come over and hold the baby so you can get some things done around the house, you know? Yes. No, that, that is, yes. Excellent idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's wonderful. So you have two children. Yes. Okay. And so tell Tell me a little, it sounds like some of your symptoms were, might've been rage, but what were your other symptoms? Um, I was, excuse me. I definitely had anxiety, which when you're someone who's suffered from depression in some form for many, many years, it is a kick in the pants to add some anxiety to that, that you've never really experienced before. Um, And I think that might be another reason too. I didn't catch on to it because they were symptoms I wasn't used to looking for, mm-hmm. um, because I had done therapy and things so many times I knew what to look for and how to manage my mental health. But, um, yeah, I was more angry, um, definitely just mad all the time and would just a short fuse and yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's important to bring up because a lot of people just assume, oh, it's just, you feel sad. And I find yeah. most of the people I know who have postpartum depression or mood disorders, it is not sadness. It's anxiety. It's rage. It's, it's all these yeah. other emotions that you, that, you know, the right lay people probably wouldn't associate with postpartum depression. Right. Yeah. I definitely remember a time 
where he was crying and I just kept thinking, man, I wish I could just throw him in his crib and just like close the door and walk away. Just, ugh, mm-hmm. you know, like that, ugh, I'm annoyed with you feeling instead of, you know, wanting to fix it. And of course I never did that. And it's funny because when you're having these thoughts or these bad feelings, it was almost like, you know, I better, I better not do these bad things because that makes me a bad person. And if someone saw like that's bad. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it does, it was almost like I was putting on a show, which I'm grateful for now because that helped me do the things that I was supposed to do as a mother to keep him safe and happy. Right. But I was putting on a show at times of, you know, taking care of him in a more nurturing way. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, you know, keeping that in mind too, if you feel like you're doing something or saying something for the benefit of the other person in the room, then you might be suffering from some symptoms because you're not being, you know, authentic with your own baby at that, at that moment. So that's something mm-hmm. to think about and to look for. Right. Yeah, totally agree. I think I felt a lot of numbness when I had postpartum depression after my first. So I wasn't angry. I wasn't sad. I was just numb. I felt very disconnected. So people would say to me, oh my gosh, she's so gorgeous. Look at her smile. She's so funny. You must have so much fun with her. And I'd be like, oh yeah, I have so much fun with yeah. her. And in my head, I'm thinking, mm, am I supposed to be having fun with her? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Babies are fun. Yeah. <laughs> so much fun, especially at 2 a.m. Yeah. It's <laughs> screaming at you. Yeah. Don't go to sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will but, say though, my calmest moments were, were would be the nighttime feedings. I know you said that that was when you really struggled, but that maybe it was because the house was so quiet and yeah. I was just up with just her. But those were the moments that I did feel like somewhat connected to her when it was just the two of us yeah. in the middle of the night and she was just, and I was just nursing her. But during the day, for sure, I'd be like, now, what do you want? Oh, you have a dirty diaper. Fine. Let me change you. Okay. I'm going to put you down now. Now, what do you want? You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I think that I may have felt that way, but it was like a continuous day. I mean, he's still, he's going to be three, um, on the 15th of this month and he still doesn't sleep through the night. So there was this period for the first year ugh, I did not realize until right now that my it says Roku and it's just down. <laughs> that's all right <laughs> I I off. um <clears throat> excuse me so it wasn't more peaceful or better at any point because it was like I was so overly exhausted that it you know it it didn't it never felt peaceful it always felt like I have to move again I feel like I just went to sleep you know, I'm so tired. Everything was like bitter and resentful and, you know, a job like, you know, with Violet, I remember breastfeeding and it not being easy, but there being so much, you know, bonding in the, in those moments. And with Stetson, breastfeeding didn't go well anyway. And we had to stop when he was about two months old. So you add that on top of everything else. And it's like, I felt so bad that I already wasn't giving him what he needed anyway. And now I can't even nurse him. And so it, you know, and in the beginning, they wanted me to nurse him and then pump and then feed him what I pumped. Oh, the triple feeding plan. And it, but that doesn't end. And I had a three-year-old, like by the time you're done with that feeding, 
for a newborn time to start over. And I couldn't just live in the bedroom when my husband's on business trips and Mm -hmm. I have a three-year-old. And so that was really hard. Um, And it just, it was like it snowballed one thing after the other didn't go right. Mm -hmm. And it was just this job that I didn't want. Right. And I think the triple feeding plan is, is hard and not sustainable for most people. It is meant to be a short-term plan, but if you're not making any progress and it's like you get stuck in this tunnel where you're like, this is the rest of my life, just feeding and pumping and feeding and pumping and feeding and pumping. And if he's going to be happy and healthy on formula, then I'm not going to kill myself over this. Right. And I'm, I'm a lactation consultant. So obviously I support breastfeeding, but I support parents more. Yeah. And you're, you know, breastfeeding shouldn't be put above everything else, especially mental health. And you'll see people say all the time, like, oh, breastfeeding helps reduce postpartum depression. And that is true if it's going well. Right. Yeah. Not (laughs) another thing that's just like going terribly wrong. Right. Because the whole reason why it helps is because it releases oxytocin in your brain. But if you're struggling with it and you're not getting that oxytocin rush and you're just feeling miserable doing it, it's not going to help you with postpartum depression. Yeah. And I just, all all, all it did was create guilt for me um, with him because he was losing weight. I couldn't get him, you know, he was never getting to the thick stuff. He was just getting the beginning stuff. You know, he was a lazy nurser. I hate that. I hate, I hate when they say that. Because <laughs> um, it just was like, don't call him names. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was like, it was just so much harder than the first time that when we stopped and we moved to the bottles, it was just so, it was at least one more thing off my plate that I could stop struggling with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you need to take it off your plate, it's not worth it to kill mm-hmm. yourself over. Like it's, it's wonderful when it's wonderful, but their formula exists for a reason. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to feel bad about it. If your kid is hungry, feed your baby, Yeah, and, you know, and just like, don't let it be a thing that can push you over the edge. Right. I remember working with a family where the mom had had depression and anxiety before her pregnancy and then postpartum kicked it even even more um, worse. And she was seeing a therapist and everything, but I went over her house and she was having some pretty complex problems and I created a plan for her. And then I left and it was great. Like um, she was very sweet. And before I even got home, she sent me this text saying, you know, I really appreciate you coming over. And now that I know what I would have to do to make this work, I don't want to do it because my mental health is not up for it. And I just remember feeling so much respect for her that in that moment with everything yeah. that she had going on, she still knew her limits and she still knew her boundaries. And I was so I happy that person go her. Yes. I was so happy that she was able to, and then to tell the, you know, because I half the kids in my house were formula fed. I'm not one of those lactation consultants, but she didn't know that. So she was yeah. taking a risk too, of being judged if she had, yeah. you know, worked with a lactation consultant who was judgy, but I just remember feeling so proud of her and so, oh, so much respect respect for her, like, great, let's get you weaned. Let's get you, you know, take that off your plate. Like you said, that's awesome. And I think more more parents should have those tools. (laughs) Yeah. Because I'm like, oh man, how do I tell the person? No, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to be miserable and I'm just going to do it. Because in our heads, we're like, well, if we don't, if we don't try everything, then right, we must right. be a bad mom. And right, it's like, where right. did this idea come from? I know it's so ridiculous. I finally told um, my friend who 
her baby isn't even one yet. Um, and she was worried about something. We all go through the same stages of, of worries when they're little. And, you know, I just said, remember, if you weren't worried, then you wouldn't be paying attention, which means then you would be a bad mom. Mm. Like if, yes. you were, if you're worried, then you're noticing things that may or may not be true because we all go a little over the edge when we're examining our own babies thinking like, did they hit this milestone? And are they supposed mm-hmm. to be making this noise? And she's moving her hands a certain way. What does that mean? Um, and I told her if you're overly examining her, then you're the furthest thing from a bad mom. Like, right. I, I just, I try to remind all moms there, there's a lot of things that you could do to get the label of a bad mom. And I don't know anybody who does those things. So like, (laughs) if you're, if you're, you know, if you're feeding them, I call it icing when we do extra stuff. So if mom is able to get down on the floor and play or run around and do mommy monster, I'm not big on playing. I'm not going to lie. I don't really like to play. Mm -hmm. So when I do these things, I call it icing. Mm -hmm. Everything underneath the icing is basic. You are fed, you're happy, you're smiling, you're enriched in some way. You have a Mm -hmm. roof over your head. You have a cozy, warm bed. The basic needs are met. You're good. Nobody gets icing every single day. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, I've set the bar kind of low. So if you're doing more than that, like you're doing a great job. Like I, I, some of my friends bring their kids to enriching activities all over the city and do all these amazing things. And I wish that I could be a little bit more of a doer like that, but like we all go through the, I'm a bad mom stage. And if you really stop and think about like, I, okay, I stopped, I stopped deciding whether or not I'm a good parent based on what other parents think. I decided I'm a good parent based on what my kids think. Mm-hmm. And once, once I started looking to them for approval instead of the world, it was like, oh, I am doing a good job. My kid mm-hmm. was smiling for most of the day. She mm-hmm. threw a few epic tantrums. Things got a little wild. But for the most part, she's a very happy, healthy, emotionally intelligent, well-spoken five-year-old. Like, I can't be doing that bad of a job. Right. So, you know, that that's another thing for new, newer parents or people who are about to be parents too. Don't look to your neighbor to see mm-hmm. if you're a good parent. Right. Look at your baby, look at your kid. Yeah. And go from there. Yeah. I think that can be applied to a lot of things for mental health. I remember um, a few years ago, I was studying um, mental health a little bit and I was learning about different things. And I was in therapy at the time. And every time I learned about something else, I saw myself in that. So I would read about narcissism and then I would be like, oh my gosh, am I a narcissist? Like am I a narcissist? And I'd go to my therapist and she would be like, Shelly, if you're wondering if you are a narcissist, that means that you are not a narcissist. Right, right, right. And I was like, and it clicked in my head. And it's the same thing. If you were wondering if you're a bad mom, you're not a bad mom because you care enough about where you're actually like wondering it. Because an actual bad mom would never think that she's a bad one. Yeah, <laughs> she wouldn't care enough. She like, wouldn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> she's too busy at the crafts table. She's not- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, 
So sometimes yeah, I think so. it's just like changing your perspective and or getting a new perspective. And well, and like I was trying to, um, I I started to say before, if you say the thing out loud instead of inside your head, a lot of times you hear how ridiculous it is. Like, do you, you know, if you think something bad about yourself, like, are you really, are you really stupid? Like, look at look around at what you've accomplished. Mm-hmm. You know, think about the things that you've done, where you are today, where you were yesterday. Like, is that really true? Are you really good for nothing? Like, look at the thing, you know, it's, mm-hmm. if you start dissecting your own thoughts instead of just keeping them quiet where they can just live and fester and grow, you know, there, there has to be a way if, if there's not someone you're willing to talk to directly, if you can write it out and then you know, maybe, maybe put two columns, like what in that statement was true and what in that statement was false, you know, and, and just do whatever you can to, to get it out. So you're not just swimming in it. I don't know if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense to me. So you were struggling, you had your breaking point. You finally reached out and asked for help. Can you tell us a little bit about what your recovery process looked like? Yes. Lots of therapy, locked lots of Lexapro. Mm -hmm. Um, my favorite author and best friend, she doesn't know we're best friends. Um, just to be clear, but we are best (laughs) friends. Um, Glennon Doyle says, Jesus loves me. This I know for he gives me Lexapro live by those words. Um, hoping to not be on it forever, but it definitely has done what it's supposed to do. Therapy has done wonders. Um, it, it didn't take as long this time um, because I had been therapy before. I had been on um, not Lexapro, but something like Lexapro before. Um, I have a lot of experience in the mental health space. Um, so I felt like I was able to catch on um, a little bit quicker. But a, a, a big thing that helped me recover um, both times, the first time I was depressed, even before having kids. And then after the postpartum is just writing about it, talking about it. I mean, just going on interviews and discussing my story, um, has been therapeutic in its own. Right. Mm -hmm. And not to mention the more I've told these stories, the more of it I've been able to remember. Um, so that helps too. And just, you know, if you're trying to stuff stuff down all the time, you're never going to get away from it. So I'm just so big on therapy and talking about it and getting it out and having good self-awareness and understanding the situation that you're in, understanding what the mental illness even is, understanding what the medication even is and what it does, understanding what the natural remedies can do for you. Um, You know, just and then I went through the whole personal development thing where I was like, every podcast, every book, every, yeah. you know, like, I, mean, <laughs> I should show you my bookcase right now because you will not believe how many self-help books I bought in that. That, that was a whole stage in itself. Um, I think everybody who suffers yeah, we from all the like, together. Yeah. It was a, Rachel Hollis started a boom. And then we started finding all the people in, in the post, in the, um, personal development space. And yeah, it, and a lot of it helped a lot. I, I, a lot of it can be a little woo woo and a little, um, surface, you know, it's really easy to, to say some really beautiful quotes, Mm -hmm. but then have nothing to like 
you know, you go Love home it. from, yeah, you go home from these conferences. <laughs> I've never been to a conference, but I can imagine you come home all like fired up. But then when the real life things creep up on you and they didn't tell you how to handle those things mm-hmm. and, you know, those beautiful quotes stop, start to mean a little bit less. Um, and so what I've learned too is as I revamp my show and I am redoing my website right now, Um, I just want to make sure to continue to talk about these topics where I'm taking personal development, but we're going deeper and going into like, Hey, we want you to have all of this, but you have to fix all this first. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's cute to say you have a mountain to climb, but you know, the, the truth is when you get, what did I hear? What's the quote that I love so much? It's like, um, when you finally reach the end of the journey, the only thing that's left, the only thing you find is a mirror. So you can work your butt off to accomplish everything you want to accomplish, but you'll never actually make it until you've, you right. dig deeper and, and figure those things out. And, right. But I think I've gone, I might've overcorrected, like, cause now I'm really overly self-aware <laughs> um, I'm really like, I understand the people around me a little too well. Mm-hmm. It's like, I just, <laughs> it's like almost a burden now to know so much about myself. Like the millennials know too much about themselves. I think. Yes. yes. <laughs> we spend so much time being like introspective. <laughs> I know. I know. And then it's, it's harder too, when you're around people who are so not self-aware at all. it can be really difficult when you're like oh do you not hear yourself what are you saying right chin up just uh, be positive (laughs) (laughs) when I was your age there was no such thing as depression we just pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps yes that is weak-minded that's what I've heard that is weak-minded I was like oh Mm. interesting Um, yeah, so, and that's, you know, because of that, I am definitely teaching my kids, um, a lot about their mental health and their mental state. And, Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I learned through out treatment and getting better and getting beyond all this is that it's not going to help for you to completely hide it from your children. Um, I think that's a really big mistake that we all make and go through, um, pretending to be happy all the time isn't any better for your children than crying around them all the time mm-hmm. um, or raging around them all the time. Or um, so what I've tried to implement is just upfront honesty. Mommy is, and, and like I said, she's five and he's about to be three. And I'll say, mommy needs a break. Mommy is feeling very stressed out, mm-hmm. um, you know, or I'm feeling very anxious. Like I use these words so they're normal words in their vocabulary because it, they weren't normal words for me. You know, you had like happy, mad, sad, glad. There wasn't really anything in between that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so my two-year-old will say, I need a break and he'll go and he'll take time alone. And my five-year-old will say, you know, I need some space. I need some alone time. And she'll go and she'll take her alone time. And so if anything, the more honest I've been about, how I'm actually feeling at any given time um, is, sh- is showing good results that 
I mean, don't get me wrong. They still blow a lid and freak out over a blue cup or whatever. But the more I see them ask for a, a time out to be by themselves, the more I know they're paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say, you know, like mommy's trying really hard not to yell right now. So I need a, I need a minute because a lot is going on and I'm overwhelmed. I'll tell them that like I'm overwhelmed. Um, and so it's been a learning experience to, to kind of implement my recovery into my parenting, um, because I want them to feel comfortable saying they're frustrated or they're nervous or they're embarrassed or they're, you know, something in between I'm mad or I'm happy. Right. And just normalizing talking about it in general to take the stigma and shame away. I know. And so my kids are a lot older than yours, but we talk about it all the time. Like I'm feeling really anxious. They'll tell me, okay, I really need a mental health day. And of course take your mental health day. But I always wanted them to know because depression runs in my family. Like my mom had, my aunt's had, there's a good chance that they could get depressed too. And I want them to know that it's not their fault and that it's not, you know, something to be ashamed of. And yeah something fixable like we can we can help with that so right I always tell them like oh I have a therapy appointment or um they may they know I take medication um and we're very open about it yeah that's great and that's the way that it should be it shouldn't be such a a secret right (laughs) no you don't you know if you had a doctor appointment for a checkup you wouldn't lie and say I'm going to get my eyes checked like you wouldn't if you can tell everyone you're going to the regular doctor like I I have no shame in most things anyway. And so I'll tell anybody that I'm in therapy. I think everyone should be in therapy. Mm-hmm. I'm a big cheerleader of therapy. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to know me very well at all to know that I am indeed in therapy. It'll probably come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I all the time. I'll be like, oh, my therapist told me today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. And usually because, you know, we're millennials. So I'm talking to a bunch of millennials. They're like, oh, my therapist told me that too. I know. Yeah. I know. So we're all just sharing what we've learned. Yeah. And I think a therapy back to what you were saying about like, um, personal growth and stuff and taking, bringing in all these different tactics to, for recovery, but having that deeper dive within yourself through the therapy, I think is so important to me. Therapy was always like the foundation of the house. And then all the other stuff, the, the pretty quotes and the journaling and whatever was like, the pretty walls and the pretty decorations, but you can't build right. those walls if you don't have a good foundation. Right. And if, and I wanted to say too, with all those tools, the only way to know what will work for you is kind of to try them all. And I have, pre- I have pretty good ADD. So a lot of times too, something might work for me for months and then like never work for me again. And I have to totally switch up. So, you know, don't get discouraged. One, if, you don't like, if you don't like the therapist, please get another one. Don't just give up. Um, if you don't like the tools, I mean, you can research so many different things. Mm -hmm. Um, just try all the different things. And, um, if it's financial, a lot of therapists work on a sliding scale and leave enough spots open for, um, lower, you know, priced slots, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, so just don't give up. I know it's hard right now with waiting lists and I haven't had to deal with any waiting lists on, of therapists recently though. So I'm hoping that's getting a little bit better, oh, but it's really bad in my area. Is it like six, two to six months wait? Oh my goodness. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. No. 
But uh, yeah, I, and I think it's really important, like you said, to find someone that you like and click with and then to find those tools that work for you. I tried, I wanted meditation to God, work. I want it so to work hard so for me. Like, I, I tried know. and tried and I hate it. <laughs> I know. I want it to work so bad. I want to be a yoga meditation person. Yes. <laughs> so bad. I, I still have the app on my, like I try all, like still try at least twice a week to meditate. And I'm always like, why am I doing this? Why? It's just not going to work for me. And that's okay. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what I, I learned something that might make it easier for you, unless you already know this, but I thought meditation was all about clearing the mind, which is not mm-hmm. something I'm able to do, but you don't have to clear it. You can just say like, I'll think about that later. Yeah. Um, which I don't recognize know. the thought and then let it go. That's what I try to do. But I'm like, yes. after five minutes, I'm like, are we done? Like, oh my god, five minutes that is so long. <laughs> <laughs> five minutes is longer for me. Usually, I pick the two minute meditation. I just lay there like, is it over yet? Is yes. it over yet? Two minutes I could do, but <laughs> five minutes feels like a lifetime. My God, if you could tell all the parents listening one thing, what would you tell them? Um, just in general or about postpartum depression or <laughs> yeah, about postpartum depression in general, whatever um, you want. What do you want them to know? If I could tell, I think I had this in the list that you sent me to, and I still didn't come up with an answer. Did I, um, <laughs> no pressure. I would tell parents to just, like I said, be, just be honest. I think the more that we try to shelter our kids from things, um, mm-hmm. the more that backfires, Okay. And, the, and the more that gives us um, bad results, I think we just need to be more honest about what's going on with us, what's going on in the world around them, age appropriate, of course, depending on how old your kids are. But yeah, I love that. I think our generation is a lot more honest than the generation before us. I think we were sheltered from a lot of things. I agree. And where can people find you if they want to connect? You mentioned that you're redoing your website. Where can they find? MrsMediocreMom.com is my current site. And I am Mrs. Mediocre Mom on every platform. You could even just type it into Google. I have a Google page where it'll show you everything. Um, right now, I do have a store um, with some physical and digital products, as well as my blog. But hopefully soon, you'll be seeing a newer website and a newer podcast coming. Hopefully, I'll have more details on that soon. Do you have a name for your podcast? It was the Mediocre Mom Show, and we are discussing whether or not we're going to keep the name or start something totally new. But I'm always partial to Mrs. Mediocre Mom because everybody knows it and it's easy and it's cute. And Mm -hmm. I do like it. I like World Okay as Mom. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it works because what I was going to say when I was telling you that I couldn't find my headphones, that with a name like Mrs. Mediocre Mom, Anytime I mess up or things don't go as planned, it's basically just on brand. <laughs> so it's like this, oh, it's like the safety net that I've created yeah. for myself. It's almost like you have to mess up yeah, here and right. there or else people will be like, you're not mediocre. I know if I do too well, yeah. it's a problem. So yeah, I like that. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us. This is such an important topic and you had such good points. Um, And I I will put the links to your website and social media in the show notes. Thank you so, so much. Have a good night. You too. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. 
Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTapIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTapIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.